Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series through the penitential psalms. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Well, we're looking today at Psalm 32. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayers to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters... They shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our God in heaven, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice that is not yours, and that by hearing, we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, I'm John, and I'm a sinner. For years, I ignored it. But if I'm honest with you, I see evidence of it every single day. In fact, as far back as I can remember, it was there. A fellow preschooler had a toy that I coveted. And so powerful was that desire that I stole it. I stole it right out of his little hand. And he cried pathetically. And the teacher reprimanded me and returned the toy to him. But she could not curb my desire. I'd sin and I'd do it again. I've learned through research that it's actually genetic And here's something you never thought you would hear from me out of this pulpit. I was born that way. It's been in the family for eons. 
going all the way back to my ever-so-great-yet-not-so-great-grandfather. Records reveal that he was the first. And then he passed it on from generation to generation. An inheritance, I might add, that no one asked for, that no one wanted. And yet it is an inheritance that plagues every single person in my family. And that's why I'm sharing this with you today. Because in my research, what I found is, is that we're part of the same family. As it turns out, we're blood relatives. My grandfather is your grandfather, Adam of Eden, who sinned against God, cursing every single son and daughter to follow him. But wait, it gets better or worse. Not only have we all inherited our common ancestors' sin nature, yielding unspeakable sins of thought, word, and deed, but it also comes with a death sentence. Originally, we were created to live forever, and now all die. Created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, Sin renders us enemies of God, deserving His punishment. So, since we're all in this together, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this common problem that we, all part of the family, what are we going to do about it? Well, I thought about this, and one option, and this is really popular today, is I thought, how about we redefine sin? How about that? Okay. So God says, you shall have no other gods but me. But we could just say that we believe in a higher power of our choosing. God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. But we could call it individual interest. God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But we could just call it semantic expression. God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, but we could call it me time. God says, honor your father and mother, but we could just call it a family squabble. God says, you shall not murder, but I'm thinking more along the lines of dispute resolution. God says, you shall not commit adultery, but I've heard it called recently unshackled freedom. God says you shall not steal, but some on Monday morning call it commercial enterprise. God says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, but certain times of the year, especially November, they call it strategic maneuvering. God says you shall not covet, but I just like to think of it as ambition. So, there you go. Now, how's everybody feel? Does that make you feel better? Yeah, me neither. Why? Because sin is any failure to measure up to what God requires or any disobedience to His commands. 
redefining sin does not remove the guilt of it. Because sin is against God's standard, not mine. And certainly not yours. Redefining sin, you see, is nothing more than a futile attempt to deceive God when in the end, you know what happens. We just deceive ourselves. God is not deceived. In fact, the Apostle John says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Now that's not something you want to add to your list of transgressions, is it? Let's face it. There's nothing you or I can do about sin. There's nothing. Nothing we can do. Our only hope is if God acts. And that's the gospel. Pure and simple. Because God has done what we could not. Just as David and the Old Testament saints looked to the promise of God's covenant of grace, so you and I look back to Christ's fulfillment of that covenant of grace. And through faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, and through faith in Christ only, we can sing the first two verses of this psalm. Look at it with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now you will be thankful that I did not sing that to you, but the heart of the matter is the word, look at it, blessed. We are blessed indeed. Why? Because God has forgiven us, not in our works, but by His grace alone. Not in cooperating with Him. Not in joining the work of the man upstairs. No, our gracious God in heaven has saved us by His grace. Keep looking at this with me if you will, because I want to draw your attention to David uses three words for sin. I mean, he's going to use three verbs for our forgiveness. The three words for sin. Look at it with me. As it's translated here in English. Transgression. Sin. And iniquity. And they're used in this sense. As poetic synonyms. For the comprehensiveness. Of our sin. Incorporating all of our sin. We also see. That as great as our sin is. And it is great. Even greater is the grace of God. David uses three verbs to convey this. Is forgiven. Which literally means carried away. Is covered. Which is a verb connoting atonement. And counts no, as it's translated here, or could be translated, does not count In the sense of, and many of you will hear an echo here, of the word justification. It is not counted against us. So you see, in this sense, what David is saying is, is that it is as if God, by His grace, through faith in His promise, has carried away my sin. 
He has covered over my sin. He has justified me as if I am righteous in His sight. It is not surprising then, and some of you will have already picked up on this, that Paul uses these same verses in Romans. Does it sound familiar? In Romans, Paul draws our attention to the faith that we have in Christ and that our sins are not counted against us. But what of those sins? What happens? Does does sin just disappear like redefining it? No. Paul goes on to tell us that our sins are charged to Christ's account. And Christ's righteousness is given to us. He makes this oh so clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him to, who knew no sin to be sin. That in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Or He said to the Ephesians, In Christ we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. What's this mean? This means that the cost of our forgiveness was high. Higher than any of us can imagine. The atoning sacrifice of God's Son, a reality we must not take for granted and so deceive ourselves, is the truth of the Gospel. And part of being blessed is that we remember You see, the gospel is not something that we hear, we believe, and we forget. No, we must consistently remember the gospel over and over and over again. Sometimes numerous times within the day, we must remember the gospel. John Stott said, It was by his death, that is by Christ's death, that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. And so we must remember the gospel. We must look to, as we say, the cross of Christ. And it is with gratitude that we remember. And in gratitude, we live as forgiven sinners. With gratitude, we live as forgiven sinners. Now, for the forgiven sinner, we do know that because of our sin nature, we do continue to sin. And this is a problem. And again, just like my example of redefining sin, we can sort of try to trick our way out of it as if, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to think about that right now. I'm just not going to deal with that right now. Well, let me tell you what that does. Sin breeds sorrow and suffering. I know you're not going to hear this today. So you're going to hear it in this church today. Sin breeds sorrow and suffering. It can even make you weak and ill. See Paul's instruction to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for an elaboration on that. 
harboring sin can make you feel, well, David says here in this psalm, he said it can make you feel like your whole body is wasting away. Not what the world tells you about sin, is it? Because as you harbor that sin, it's not like you're thinking, ah, the pleasures of sin. No, for the true child of God, you begin to hurt and to moan as if you're groaning in agony under the weight and the guilt of that sin. And it can feel like, well, it can feel like darkness. It can feel, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones did an entire series on this called Spiritual Depression. It can feel like depression. It can feel heavy, like a heavy sadness. And it can feel as if we're distant from God, as if God is far away. Wallowing in sin and its accompanying guilt is no remedy. It's no remedy at all. But David says confession is. David says confession is. The Apostle John said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He who is the judge of all is always faithful to forgive the sins of His child for Christ's sake. For it is not for our righteousness that the judge of heaven and earth looks to forgive us, but He looks to the righteousness of Christ. He who was justified, or rather we, who are justified as righteous through faith in Christ, we are being sanctified. And here's the key, folks. The key is, is that we're being sanctified by that same righteousness. It is not as if we are justified as righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and then says, well, he ought to know better not now. I'm just going to leave him alone. Let's see how John works out on this. In his own righteousness. No, God never said that. We are being perfected by the presence of the Holy Spirit, not by our cooperating righteousness, but by the very same perfect righteousness of Christ. And confession of sin is a necessary part of our sanctification including the cleansing that not only restores us relationally, but reinvigorates us joyfully. Because you see, sin robs joy. Not going to hear that in the world either, are you? Sin robs joy. And so rightly does David pray in the 51st Psalm, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's a good prayer to memorize, isn't it? And as God promises forgiveness and cleansing, David confesses it. Look at verse 5 with me. I acknowledge my sin to you. That is, I agree with you, God. This is sin. And I, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's with a penitent heart. David uses here three verbs of confession, coupled with those same three words for sin that he used earlier. He acknowledges his sin. 
does not cover his iniquity. And he confesses his transgression. The result is, as God promises, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Or it could be better translated, you forgave the guilt of my sin. We need not know his specific sin. Note carefully, David never tells us in this psalm what the particular sin is. And here's the thing, we don't even need to guess about it. Because what he is doing is he is teaching us. Because he knows that we are fellow sinners. He is forgiven, cleansed indeed. And so are we. And as we continue shackled to our sin nature... Here's the thing. Confession is going to be an ongoing necessity. If the last time you confessed your sins to the Lord was a long time ago, that's a problem. That is a significant problem. This side, this side of heaven, this side of glory, we never reach a point where we are no longer needing to confess and repent of our sins. While we must always strive to obey God, and as the true believer truly desires to obey God, when we sin, we must not think, well, that's one too many. I knew the day was coming. I hit the number. I maxed out on my sins. No. And it's not like we're going to store them up. I think about my kids and their college laundry baskets. Storing it up until they come home for the weekend, right? I'm home. So good to see you here. That's not how we deal with our sin either. It's not as if I have sinned and I'm just going to keep on adding it to the basket until it's just so rotten, so bad enough, so full and brimming over. Well, finally, I guess I'm going to confess my sins going to Covenant Presbyterian on Sunday, right? Wrong. It's not how we deal with sin. And that's not what David is teaching us. God knows that we are sinners. You're not fooling Him. You don't have to fool Him. God knows that there was no hope for you but His grace. He already knows that. God knows that we are saved only by His grace, only through faith in Christ. And so He teaches us to confess our sins early and often. As R.C. Sproul said, God is pleased to clean up when He finds us in the dirt. The faithfulness of God to forgive us in Christ, then, is neither an encouragement nor a license to sin. You've heard this, haven't you? From some fellow Christians, perhaps. Oh, you people that believe in the the saving grace of God in Christ and, and, and believe that it doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you do, you're always forgiven, of which I typically say, yes, that's me. But you got it wrong. Because you see, the grace of God does not lead me to seek sin. It leads me to seek Him. And that's all the difference in the world. And so God does not hang my sin and He doesn't hang your sin out here like, well, you know, 
If I don't forgive John enough, if I'll just leave that sin dangling out there, maybe he'll shape up his act. And so I'm going to dangle it there oh, for the rest of his life. No. In fact, that is an offense to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truly converted hearts desire to please God, to obey God, to glorify Him forever. It's why I tell the parents of young children, the covenant children of our congregation, when is it that they may make a profession of faith? And when is it that they may receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? And I say, look for conviction of sin. And I'm not talking about getting caught. I'm not talking about the proverbial hand in the cookie jar and mama and daddy caught you. I'm talking about an ever-present reality of the weight and conviction of sin. I have sinned, and I need forgiveness. What do you do with that? Well, mom and dad, you do exactly what happened to you. You preach the gospel to your kids. And we preach the gospel to ourselves. And the Holy Spirit's presence then enables us, by God's grace, as the confession says, to will and to do God's good pleasure. And it is His pleasure to grow you, and it is His pleasure to grow me in Christ-likeness. That's what He desires. That's the purpose in all of this, you see? The conviction of sin, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering to live this thing called the Christian life, you know there's purpose, right? And the purpose is, is to make you and to make me more and more like Christ. And for some of us, He's got a long way to go. Now, for all of us, right? God says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you. This is not the psalmist talking. This is God speaking. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God has given us His Word that we may read it, that we may study it, that we may memorize it, that we may meditate upon it, that we may know His will, that we may obey His will. And He has given us His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit dwells within all who believe. And it is the Holy Spirit who instructs us and teaches us, who counsels us according to, in agreement with God's Holy Word. And He goes with us, watching over us for our good and for our holiness. The problem is, if I might go back to the beginning of this sermon, the problem is, is the inheritance, right? The problem is the inheritance from granddaddy. It just won't go away. And we can't disinherit it. And it's not one of those inheritances you can, well, safely lock away. No, it's an inheritance that is actively in pursuit of its own pleasure. And it abhors anything that will thwart it. Which means that when our sin nature encounters the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it becomes subhuman. It becomes like an animal. 
This does not mean that you nor I, does not mean that we are helpless victims. For Christ has given us the helper. And he says this. Be not like a horse or a mule. Like, I I want that bumper sticker. And I'm not even a bumper sticker guy, but I want that one. Be not like a horse or a mule. Without understanding. Which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. God can, in fact, bridle you. He can. And in His discipline, He will. But shall we resort to our baser, baser instincts when we have been given the mind of Christ? By God's grace, through faith in Christ, we are children of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Scripture says this. It says that we are heirs of God. That we are fellow heirs of Christ. Folks, we're royalty. But when we sin... Well, as Martin Luther put it so less subtly, you're a gross, ungrateful clod worthy of being numbered among the beasts. I'm sure it sounds better in German. (laughs) As a forgiven sinner, I am never more like a stupid mule than when I sin, wallowing in the muck and mire when I'm meant for glory. Therefore, David encourages us not to delay, but to go to the Lord now. He says, while He may be found. Not implying that God leaves us or God hides from us or like there's this peekaboo with God. That's utter nonsense. The point is, don't procrastinate. The Lord has called you to confess your sins. He's faithful. He's just to forgive them. Don't procrastinate. Go to the Lord. Time is of the essence when it comes to confession. Why? Because harboring sin is like a tsunami. And the more that we harbor sin, the bigger that tsunami gets. But when we confess our sins, the rush of great waters goes back out to sea. Undoubtedly, we will face the temptation to sin. I will. You will. But the Lord always protects us in temptation He always provides the way of escape. Not to the enclave of our willpower, but to the hiding place of His Spirit's provision. And by His empowerment, when we follow the path of obedience, we find that we are not running away from the pleasures of sin, but we are preserved from trouble. I've said this before, but think about that. Confession and obedience protects us. Preserves us from the trouble of sin. The sorrows of sin, those sorrows of sin, those are reserved for unbelievers. Leave them to them. The 
child of God who trusts not in the promises of the world, the flesh, and the devil, but trusts in the promises of God and His gospel, that is the child who knows true joy. And in trusting the Lord, as the psalm was read earlier, Mike read from Psalm 1, a beautiful psalm, in which we learn that the one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But this psalm elaborates to let us know it's not a lone tree on the creek bank. It's not an individual tree, but it is in a healthy forest, a fellowship with others who also trust in the Lord, growing together, as if I may continue the metaphor, as trees in the forest of God's kingdom. And we come together weekly on the Lord's Day to worship our triune God through His means of grace. And we assemble, not as the, triumph, the church triumphant yet, but as the church militant, confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another, and also rejoicing in the forgiveness and the fellowship that we enjoy. And we do so, as David puts it, with songs of deliverance. Hey folks, we have sung some songs of deliverance today. And so we shall continue to sing songs of deliverance as we continue to meet together. The Lord is indeed faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and protect us and also hide us and preserve us and surround us with other forgiven sinners that we may be glad in the Lord, that we may rejoice in the Lord, that we may sing with joy to the Lord. Though great our sins and sore our woes, His grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows, our utmost need it soundeth. Our shepherd good and true He is, who will at last His Israel free from all their sin and sorrow, from all their sin and sorrow. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, You know that we pray to You today as a church full of sinners. And yet, by Your grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are an assembled group of forgiven sinners. And You, who once were our enemy, now we are able to call You Father. And so we pray to you, Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for allowing us the privilege this Sunday morning to cry out in gratitude and praise to you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, indeed our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.